As sports history fans, we often reminisce about the legends. Willis Reed limping onto the NBA Finals Court, Kurt Schilling's bloody sock, Kerry Strug's courageous dismount, and so many more. These moments often define sports history. But what about the countless injuries that did not become legends or careers that were derailed due to inadequate care? That's where this episode's sponsor comes in. Introducing to you, ILP Sports Consultants, your trusted sports injury partner, available 24-7. Brian Maelli at ILP Sports Consultants has over 20 years of experience in the orthopedic and sports medicine industry, and he has worked with athletes across the gamut, from youth to amateurs, professionals, in almost every sport played in the United States of America, accommodating athletes at every stage of their career. This adaptability ensures that ILP services are perfectly tailored to your skill level, no matter where you are in your athletic journey. With ILP, you are in control. Choose the steps that matter most to you. Diagnosis, treatment plan, recovery, or the whole journey. ILP services are tailored to your unique needs. Rushing for care is a common pitfall, leading to future problems. ILP Sports Consultants helps you make the right decisions, ensuring that you receive timely and safe care. And here's the bonus. Brian hosts the Injured List podcast, sharing insights and athlete stories you won't want to miss. Whether you're a concerned parent or grandparent or an athlete yourself seeking guidance, ILP Sports Consultants is your beacon of hope in sports injury management. Visit ILPSports.com today. That's the letters ILPSports.com. ILP Sports Consultants, where your well-being is the priority and your recovery is the mission. Choose ILP Sports Consultants for a healthier sports journey, helping you get back in the game the smart way. Hi there, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome back to the ballpark. This is the Baseball History Timeline Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Wilkinson, and in this episode, the 1906 Major League Baseball season. The Baseball History Timeline is available wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and leave a five-star rating. Let's push this out to all our fellow fanatics. The city of Chicago has always been one of the great American sports cities with many historic teams and players. The 1990s Bulls of Michael Jordan might be the greatest dynasty in NBA history. The 1985 Bears are perhaps the most iconic single-season champion in the history of football. And even the historically mediocre Blackhawks became a modern-day NHL dynasty in the early 2010s and helped promote an uptick in hockey's popularity. When it comes to baseball, however, their two teams don't exactly possess a glowing history of success. Yes, the White Sox and Cubs have each won a world championship this century, the fans of the Southsiders will always cherish the 05 White Sox, while the 2016 Cubs are the most recent iconic World Series champion. Those titles broke 88 and 108 year droughts respectively, during which the great fans in the city remained ever hopeful. But back in 1906, Chicago was the third biggest city to New York and Philadelphia, but it was close to achieving that second city status. But in October of that year, the entire baseball world focused on the Windy City. For the first time in history, two teams from the same city squared off for the World Series title. Later on, there will be 13 Subway Series in New York, and the St. Louis Cardinals and St. Louis Browns will meet in the 1944 World War II Series, 
but this all-Chicago series will always be known as the first intra-city classic. Each team led their respective league in attendance during the regular season as fans of both teams took to baseball like never before. The Cubs won their first National League pennant since 1886. The White Sox had finished first in the inaugural American League season of 1901, but the new league was much more popular across the board in now its sixth major league campaign. Even though the series would be played in cold and even snowy conditions, people flocked to the grounds on the south side and west side. The White Sox fans grew more and more into it as their team stayed in the series since most followers of baseball expected a rousing Cubs victory. But after winning the final two games to claim the title, Sox fans kept the party going for hours outside the park. The series is also known for being the first and biggest upset in World Series history. The Cubs' record win total in their 116 and 36 season has been matched but never surpassed. The Cubs' winning percentage was 147 points higher than the Sox, but the Pale Hose prevailed in those six games. There have been big upsets in my lifetime as a fan. One of my first memories watching baseball is the 1988 series when Kirk Gibson and the Dodgers stunned the 104-win Oakland A's. Then in 2006, the 83-win St. Louis Cardinals topped the 99-win Detroit Tigers in five. But by difference in winning percentage, the 1906 World Series was the biggest upset in any postseason series in history. This series also brought irony to the ball field, as I'll explain when we get to the details of the series. But now let's go back to the year 1906 for the timeline of events. April 12th, Johnny Bates homers in his first major league at bat. He's the first player of the century to accomplish that feat. April 15th, Brooklyn circumvents local Sunday blue laws for a game against Boston by asking non-paying spectators to make contributions into a drop box. April 18th, the Pacific Coast League must suspend operations after the Great San Francisco Earthquake of 1906 causes widespread damage and raging fires. April 28th, Chicago Cubs player-manager first baseman Frank Chance steals home in the bottom of the ninth for the only run in a 1-0 win over Cincinnati. May 1st, Philadelphia Phillies hurler Johnny Lush fans 11 in a 1-0 no-hit victory over Brooklyn. May 6th, for the first time ever, a tarpaulin is used to cover the field during a rainstorm. The Pirates use it for the first time at Exhibition Field. May 7th, American League umpire Tim Hurst is suspended five days for punching New York manager Clark Griffith in the jaw. The ump had followed Griffith to the dugout after the manager argued a call. Also on May 7th, Tigers pitcher Wild Bill Donovan steals second, third, and then home on a double steal in the fifth inning of an 8-3 victory against Cleveland. May 8th, left shorthanded of outfielders, Philadelphia Athletics manager Connie Mack calls on pitcher Chief Bender to play left field, and Bender hits a pair of home runs in a win against Boston. May 15th, Hooks Wiltsey of the Giants is the first pitcher in 13 years to strike out seven consecutive hitters in the same game. May 17th, Ty Cobb's bunt single breaks up Rube Waddell's no-hit bid. May 24th, Boston loses its 20th straight game, including an American League record 19 in a row at home as Cy Young is beaten 7-5 by Chicago. 
predict the next day, May 25th, Boston ends that streak as Jesse Tannehill throws a two-hitter to beat Chicago 3-0. June 7th, Christy Mathewson suffers his worst performance of his career, allowing nine runs in the first inning. Jack Feaster three-hits the Giants in a 19-0 Cubs win. June 9th, more bad news in Beantown. The Boston National League Bean Eaters snap a 19-game skid by beating St. Louis 6-3. Both Boston teams would end up in last place on the season. June 11th, Boston National League third baseman Dave Brain commits five errors. His teammates must feel bad for him and join in, committing six others. June 17th, Brooklyn and Cincinnati attempt to stage a Sunday game, but personnel from both teams are arrested. June 25th, sad note, Iowa State League catcher Herbert Whitney dies from a skull fracture after being deaned in the head. July 4th, three-finger Brown best Albert Lee field 1-0. Each pitcher fires a one-hitter. July 14th, the New York Giants buy 1905 National League batting champion Cy Seymour from Cincinnati for $12,000. Also, two enduring nicknames are used for the first time on this day. Ty Cobb is dubbed the Georgia Peach, while the White Sox are called the Hitless Wonders. July 18th, Washington's Cy Falkenberg becomes the first AL pitcher to slug a Grand Slam. July 20th, right-handed pitcher Mal Eason of Brooklyn throws a 2-0 no-hitter against St. Louis. July 27th, the Detroit Free Press newspaper reports that Ty Cobb is in a sanitarium and undergoes surgery, possibly for an ulcer. He had left the Tigers nine days earlier with apparent stomach trouble. July 30th, the New York Supreme Court finds the Brooklyn franchise guilty of breaking the state's Sunday blue laws, the team's defense was that they didn't charge admission, but did accept, quote, voluntary contributions from fans. August 1st, Brooklyn's Harry McIntyre allows the Pittsburgh Pirates no hits through 10 innings before losing the no-no to Claude Ritchie in the 11th. Pittsburgh goes on to win 1-0 in 13. August 2nd, the White Sox beat Boston 2-0 to set off a 19-game winning streak. August 7th, after a disputed call at the plate cost the Giants against the Cubs the day before, John McGraw and the Giants bar umpire Jimmy Johnstone from entering the polo grounds. The day's game isn't played as Johnstone awards the Cubs a 9-0 forfeit. August 8th, National League President Harry Pulliam backs Johnstone, and he's allowed into the park to umpire today's Cubs-Giants game. The crowd applauds the umpires before Chicago's 3-2 victory. August 13th, Jack Taylor's record of 187 straight complete games is snapped when Brooklyn knocks him out in the third. The streak began in 1901 and totaled 1,727 innings. August 11th, outfielder Tom Burke of the New England League dies after a beaning formed a blood clot on his brain. Emergency surgery failed to bring him back to consciousness. August 23rd, the White Sox set that record with their 19th consecutive victory, beating Washington 4-1 behind Roy Patterson. August 24th, Cincinnati's Jake Weimer allows no hits over seven innings in a shortened 1-0 win over Brooklyn. August 29th, Boston AL manager Jimmy Collins is suspended for leaving without permission, and Chick Stahl is named acting manager. 
Just three years after winning the world championship, Boston is buried in last place. August 30th, New York slow Joe Doyle blanks Washington 5-0. He's the first pitcher to toss shutouts in his first two big league starts. September 1st, Philadelphia's Jack Coombs and Boston's Joe Harris battle it out for 24 innings before the A's take a 4-1 win. The first 20 frames don't see a run. It's the longest AL game that didn't have to be suspended, but they played it in under five hours. Also on September 1st, when the umpires get food poisoning and can't work the day's game in Chicago, one player each from the Cubs and Cardinals take their places officiating. The Cubs beat St. Louis 8-1 behind three-finger Brown's five-hitter. September 3rd, Ty Cobb singles and steals a base in his return to the Tigers lineup, but his misplay of a fly ball in center field leads to an inside-the-park homer and the only run in Detroit's 1-0 seven-inning loss to the St. Louis Browns. September 4th, the New York Highlanders complete their fifth doubleheader sweep in the last six days by beating Boston twice. Two of those five sweeps come without allowing a run in either contest. September 12th, John McGraw plays his final game for the New York Giants at third base. He'll only manage the club from then on. September 13th, Mordecai Three-Finger Brown earns his 11th consecutive win on the mound by beating St. Louis 6-2. September 17th, Eddie Collins debuts for the Philadelphia A's, playing under the name Sullivan to hide that he's still a college athlete at Columbia. September 24th, St. Louis Cardinals pitcher Ulysses Simpson Grant McGlynn, nicknamed Stoney, throws seven no-hit innings in Brooklyn, but doesn't get the chance for an official no-no when the game is called for darkness with a 1-1 score. September 26th, the Philadelphia A's, who won the AL pennant one year ago, are shut out for 48 consecutive innings before scoring twice in the sixth of a 5-3 loss to Cleveland. This dubious record would be equaled by the 1968 Cubs. Again on September 26th, another abbreviated no-hitter, this time by lefty Lee Field of Pittsburgh against Philadelphia. The Pirates win 8-0 in six innings. October 1st, Ed Rulebach of the Cubs notches his 12th straight victory, 4-3 in Philadelphia. This game is also called after six innings. October 3rd, the Boston Bean Eaters of the National League are sold by Arthur Soden to brothers George and John Dovey of Kentucky, as well as John P. Harris, for $75,000. The last place club are renamed the Doves to honor their new owners. October 4th, the Cubs win their record 116th game of the season, 4-0 at Pittsburgh. Jack Feaster picks up his 20th win as well. October 5th, Christy Mathewson's brother Henry walks 14 batters in his Major League debut. Henry will only appear in three games over a two-year career. October 7th, Cleveland is the only American League team to win the Team Triple Crown, leading the league in batting, fielding, and earn run average without claiming the pennant. December 11th, Terry Pulliam is elected to another term as National League president. And finally, December 14th, former NL batting champion Ginger Beaumont is traded by Pittsburgh to Boston for second baseman Ed Abapiccio. So there's the timeline of events of the 1906 season. Now for the final standings. American League, first place and champion Chicago White Sox, 93 wins, 58 losses, winning percentage of 616. 
New York Highlanders 90 and 61. They played 596 ball and finished three games out. Third place, Cleveland 89 and 64, 582, five games back. Fourth place, Philadelphia Athletics 78 and 67, 538 percentage, 12 games out of first. Fifth place, St. Louis Browns 76 and 73. They finished 16 games off the pace at a 510 percentage. Sixth place, Detroit Tigers, 71 and 78, 477 on the year, 21 games out. Seventh place, Washington Senators, 55 and 95, 367 percentage, 37 and a half games behind. And eighth place, Boston, rough year, 49 and 105, 45 and a half games back. They won at a percentage of 318. Now the National League champion, first place, Chicago Cubs. A record mark, 116 wins, 36 losses. Record winning percentage still to this day of 763. Second place, New York Giants, 96 and 56, 632 percentage, 20 games back. Third place, Pittsburgh Pirates, 93 and 60. Played 600 ball at 608, but that only got them 23 and a half games off the pace. Fourth place, Philadelphia Phillies, 71 and 82, 464 percentage, 45 and a half games out. Fifth place, Brooklyn, 66 and 86, 50 games back, 434 winning percentage. Sixth place, Cincinnati, 64 and 87. They played at a 424 clip, 51 and a half games behind. Seventh place, St. Louis Cardinals, 52 and 98. 347 percentage, 63 games out. And in last place, eighth place, a whopping 66 and a half games out of first. For the last time, the Boston Bean Eaters, their name will be different in 1907. 49 and 102, 325 winning percentage. Now for the league leaders in 1906, American League batting champion George Stone of St. Louis, 358. RBI and home run champion, same guy, Harry Davis, Philadelphia A's, 12 homers, 96 RBIs. The runs title goes to Elmer Flick of Cleveland with 98 runs scored. He also shared the stolen base title with John Anderson of Washington. Each guy had 39. Pitching leaders, wins 27 from Al Ort of the New York Highlanders in their second place finish. ERA champ, of the world champion Chicago White Sox, Doc White, 1.52. And yes, he was a real doctor. He was a dentist in the offseason. And the strikeout champion, once again, Rude Waddell of Philadelphia with 196. National League leaders, Honus Wagner back on top for the batting title, 339. Tim Jordan of Brooklyn won the home run title with 12. So a rare year early in the century where both home run title winners are in double digits. He was from Brooklyn, if I didn't mention that. RBI title was shared by two players. The National League champion Cubs, Harry Steinfeld, from the Pittsburgh Pirates, Jim Nealon. They each had 83. Runs leader, Wagner and Frank Chance, 103 each. And Frank Chance of Chicago, first baseman, won the stolen base title, 57. As pitching leaders... And in wins, Iron Joe McGinnity of the Giants back on top. He replaces uh, Christy Mathewson on that list, 27 for the year. Earn run average, Mordecai Three-Finger Brown, 
I believe it's still the second lowest in history, 1.04. And in strikeouts, Fred Beebe of Chicago and St. Louis led the league with 171. So now on to the postseason, the 1906 World Series. And the Chicago Cubs were so dominant in 1906 that the second-place New York Giants finished 20 games behind despite winning 96 games. Chicago's 116 victories, which were matched by the 2001 Seattle Mariners, is still a record to this day in 2022. The Cubs scored 80 more runs and allowed 89 fewer runs than the next best team in the National League in each category. Their 60 and 15 road record is the best in history. Just think about that. They won four of every five games on the road. The Cubs had been outpitched in previous seasons by the Pirates and the Giants, but they finally put that staff together to get by the previous champions. Their team ARA of 1.76 was because of pitching horses such as Mordecai Three Finger Brown, who went 26 and 6 at 1.04 ERA, nine shutouts, and in all honesty, he probably topped Christy Mathewson's regular season at least of 1905. Jack Feaster, 20 and 8. Ed Rulbach, 19 and 4. Those three plus midseason pickup Orvi overall all had ERAs under 2.0 for the season. But this is a very balanced team, great lineup as well. They had four of the top 10 in National League slugging percentage. Those four were manager Frank Chance. He had a 319 average. As I mentioned, third baseman Harry Steinfeld won the RBI title with 87 with a 327 average. Catcher Johnny Kling improved his average from 218 the previous year to 312, so a 94-point percentage, incredible mark. And right fielder Frank Schulke, he was also in the top 10 in slugging. But also they could run the bases. Every regular except one, the catcher, stole at least 25 bases. The Chicago White Sox, on the other hand, finished 93-58, and 58, 23 wins behind the Cubs. They hit 230 as a team, which gave them that great nickname, the Hitless Wonders, and they had no real star players. Their best hitter was Frank Isbell with a 279 average. He finished 79 points behind AL batting champion George Stone. But despite their woeful team average, they were third in the American League with 567 runs scored. They relied on walks and stolen bases like a lot of teams back in that era. George Davis was third in the American League with 80 RBIs. Pitchers Frank Owen and Nick Altrock each had 20 wins, despite not having careers like teammates Ed Walsh, who finished 17-13 and 13, but with 10 shutouts, and ERA champion for that year Doc White, who was just 16-6, and 6, despite a 1.52 ERA. The Sox had a 19-game winning streak in August that vaulted them in the first place, after they were looking up from fourth and being barely above 500 at the end of July. They'd been in last place as late as June 21st. The New York Highlanders took back the top spot on two occasions in September, but Chicago pulled ahead in the final week and won by three games. So now let's look at the details of the World Series games. Game one, won by the White Sox 2-1. to one. Frank Isbell singled to score player manager Fielder Jones with the eventual game winner in the sixth. Nick Altrock threw a four-hitter to best three-finger Brown, who also allowed just four hits. After the Cubs cut the lead to 2-1, consecutive defensive plays by shortstop Lee Tannehill 
and Jiggs Donahue kept the Sox ahead for good. In Game 2, the Cubs bounced back to win 7-1. Ed Rulbach yielded a single hit in the win. It was the first one-hitter in World Series history. His no-hit bid was snapped in the 7th by Donahue single. Rulbach did have to work around his six walks. Game 3, White Sox take a 2-1 lead in the series with a 3-0 victory. Whitey Rose, bases clearing triple in the 6th, beats Jack Feaster. Big Ed Walsh didn't need that offensive explosion from the Sox. He blanked the Cubs on two hits. Both of those were allowed in the first with 12 strikeouts. Game four, the Cubs pull even again with a 1-0 win. Mordecai three-finger Brown avenges his game one loss to Altrock by firing a two-hit shutout. Frank Chance plated the lone run on Johnny Evers' seventh inning single. And Brown's defensive gem on a hard grounder through the box in the ninth saved the win for Chicago. That ball was hit by Frank Isbell. And then we get to the weird part of this series. Game 5 won 8-6 by the White Sox. 14 runs. Yes, I was shocked when I saw this score. Isbell hit a World Series record four doubles, scored three runs, and drove in a pair. Ed Walsh overcame six errors behind him to take the win over Feaster. He was and then finally, Game 6, the White Sox claim the title 8-3. to And as I mentioned, a bit of an ironic finish to the season as the hitless Wonders score 8 runs in consecutive games to win the world title. They get 14 knocks in this game and knock out 3-finger Brown in just the second inning. George Davis and Jiggs Donahue had 3 RBIs apiece, while Edgar Hahn picked up 4 hits. Doc White closes his remarkable season going the distance by working around seven hits and three errors. So the Chicago White Sox are the world champions of 1906. A great upset over those Chicago Cubs, but the Cubs will bounce back in the next two years, as we'll see in future episodes. So that's the 1906 season. This is the Baseball History Timeline Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Wilkinson. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great day. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.